Well, we're looking in Proverbs chapter 20. We're going to be looking at the idea of just living, of, of doing right things in how we live. And how do we live with one another and before the Lord? And a lot of these verses that we're looking at today are going to touch on ideas of justice and righteousness. So let's go ahead and what we're going to do is we'll, we'll read through the whole passage and we're going to take them, the verses together. And if you notice in the notes, I don't have, there was no easy way to just fill it in. You know, a lot of these are very self-explanatory, but hopefully you've got room that you can write your notes as they, as points and important areas come out to you. Verse 21 begins, an inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and He will save you. Differing weights are an abomination to the Lord, and a false scale is not good. Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? It is a trap for a man to say rashly, it is holy, and after the vows, to make inquiry. A wise king winnows the wicked and drives the threshing wheel over them. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the innermost parts of his being. Loyalty and truth preserve the king, and he upholds his throne by righteousness. The glory of young men is their strength, and the honor of old men is their gray hair. Stripes that wound scour away evil. And strokes reach the innermost parts. Very beginning, right at uh, verse 21 there, an inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. The idea there is that if you, if you get a whole bunch of money real quick, if you get your inheritance when you're young, if you get it at the beginning before you have wisdom in how to use it and how to work with it, well, it won't be blessed in the end. And we see this quite a bit. We've got young people who uh, come into money and don't know how to use it. You know, you have the, the parable of the prodigal son where he takes his inheritance and runs off and squanders it. We have um, people who win the lottery and they get a bunch of money. It's not exactly an inheritance. But, you know, when people come into a lot of money like that, it's, they do studies and two years later, Five years later, it's all gone. They don't have it anymore. It's, it's just disappeared. Some, and sometimes they can't even think of specific things. Oh yeah, I spent it on this. It just kind of disappears. And, and this, is, this is true in a lot of ways that we grow into things. Even, even skill, even jobs, even knowledge. There's, there's a, a growth in it. You know, whereas when you first begin somewhere, you can barely do anything. And somebody has to show you, oh, this is where we, we get this, and this is how we do that. But over time, you take on more responsibilities. You learn how to do one thing, and you grow in other areas. And before you know it, you've expanded your ability. And, and, and a person couldn't just be thrown into that spot, into that position. They need to grow into it. And if you do throw somebody into that, it's going to be disastrous. And that's the idea here, is that, uh, that an inheritance, something that you gain in, at the end of life sometimes or later on in life, 
when you've grown and know how to handle it and how to work with it, how to live within it, after time, it can be a blessing. But if it comes in the early times, if it comes early to you, it won't be a blessing in the end. And so this is a great reminder and a a focus on just consistency. And, And that's really an idea that's going to be developed through these verses. In verse 22, he says, Do not say, I will repay evil. But instead, wait for the Lord, and He will save you. How often do we see this in Scripture where we are told that we are not to seek vengeance for ourselves? We're not going to get back at something that somebody has done to us. Instead, we're called to wait for the Lord, to wait for Yahweh. And don't you find this interesting? He will save you. Not, He will bring justice. Not, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, but He will save you. And and that word save there is really to deliver. But also it can carry the idea of avenge. But I love the idea. He will save you. When people do evil things against us, we want to react to it. We want to respond. We want to pay back sometimes. But if we do that, we damage ourselves. If, If we do that, we... We do harm to ourselves. A lot of times we don't just have to be careful about what we do or or the the things that happen to us, but we have to be careful about what we become. And if a person wants to get vengeance for themselves, if they react, what do they become over time? Alternatively, though, if if a person is forgiving, if a person is patient, if a person seeks the Lord for His deliverance, for Him to repay those that have done evil to us. Well, just think of what that does to your heart. How you grow in righteousness, how you grow in faith, and how you grow in patience. That's why if we wait for Him, He will save you. He will show up. He will come. He will deliver. He will provide what we need. And and then in in verse 23, as we we move through this idea, all these first three verses, they kind of go along with how we approach God, you know, that, that we need to um, be patient in our life and grow steadily. But this last one, differing weights are an abomination to the Lord. Literally, stone stones is what the Hebrew says. And the idea of uh, if you have scales, and, and the very next part is a false scale is not good. The idea is that if you have a scale, you put stones on it to measure how much you've got in there. And differing weights are an abomination to the Lord is the idea that, oh, this person, I'm going to put these stones, the heavier, they're made out of a heavier material, and I'm going to say, oh, that was three stones worth. But this other person over here, I like them. Oh, I'm going to put a lighter one on it. Oh, wow, that was five stones worth. We'll pay you more. Differing weights. The idea that we would treat people differently based on who they are, based on the relationship to us, based on uh, how we want to see things work. Such behavior, such an action and attitude is an abomination to the Lord. It is something that He abhors. He is disgusted by it. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody did that? I remember you know, when we went down to Mexico, uh, prices were quoted to us in a store based on whether or not you were a gringo or if you were a local. You know? um, in fact, I remember, I know, 
Louis has said, yeah, he even once tried to give something to Hilda when he was, you know, and, and have her buy it. And they said, no, we know that that's really for him. It's going to be this cost. You know, it's going to cost this much. You know, they couldn't get around the gringo tax. That's not the right way of doing things. To, 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 and this, this idea really has to do with justice and the courts. And, and our courts, our lady justice is supposed to be blind. Right? She's not supposed to take into consideration the person in, that I'm looking at. Are they wealthy? Are they poor? And I find it interesting, so often through Proverbs, Solomon doesn't just say, hey, don't, don't um, make special judgments for the rich. But he also says for the poor. He says, don't judge the poor people. Don't give them preference just because they are poor. I think that's an interesting thing. Usually, what do we do? We give preference to people because they're rich, or at least in Scripture they did. But what do we do as a society today? Do we use equal weights? Do we use a true scale that says everybody's going to be measured the same way? Or do we use differing weights? Differing measures? I think a lot of times we're using the differing ones. We think as a, as a society, as a culture, that it is a moral good to say we are going to judge a certain person differently based on either uh, where they come from, their uh, background, their wealth, or their poverty. Sometimes we're going to say, oh, well, because they come from a certain group of people, we're going to judge them differently. Now, as a society, we've recognized that in the past, yeah, we, we did that unofficially. It wasn't the official policy. But yes, there are prejudices. There are um, ways that we can just even realize that we are making these differing judgments. But that's not, that's not righteous. We recognized it and said it's not good, and yet now we are still doing it as a society. And, and Proverbs, Solomon tells us this is an abomination to the Lord. He hates it. That a false scale is not good. And yet we persist in doing those kind of things. Where, where will we go as a people if that is our focus? That we use differing measurements, differing weights, and a false scale. How can we have uh, righteousness in the courts and in our government if we persist in using different weights and a false scale? These things are not things that God likes. And as much as we can, we have got to try to get where we don't use them in our own lives too. Where we treat people equally because they are made in God's image. And that's really the, the, the focus. The reason why differing weights are an abomination of the Lord is, is it's, it's picking and choosing and treating people differently when God has created us all. Solomon continues, and in, in verse 24, we're actually going to skip a few verses after 24. Uh, 24, we're told, man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? God knows how we're going and where we're going and how we're living. How can man understand his way? And, and, and it could be that how can man understand God's way, but it's also just how can man understand his own way? When these things are ordained by the Lord... They're not really truly up to us. I mean, we, we make choices and we act and we operate within God's sovereignty and in His world. 
Similarly, in verse 27, we're told the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the innermost parts of his being. And that, that's a weird... This, this passage, this verse has been difficult for a lot of people, and, and just in general, because it's a weird setup. The idea, though, is the spirit of man. Spirit. Remember when, when Adam was created, God made him out of the dirt, and then what did God do? He breathed his spirit into him. He breathed into Adam and gave Adam life. And, and so you could, uh, there, there's a, a sense that we are all living because God has begun that spark of life in us. That we have His Spirit living. I mean, not like the Holy Spirit coming into us when we're saved, but all people have the Spirit of God who has created them to live. And so the Spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, that He is the one who has given us life and light. And, and He is the one who is able to see within us. We don't, the idea here is that we don't truly know our inwardmost parts. Not like God does. He is the one who knows everything in us. He is the one who knows our desires. He's the one that knows. Sometimes we don't really fully understand why do we do certain things. God knows. God understands. He knows us intimately. Our steps are ordained by the Lord. How can man understand his way? And a similar idea. The spirit of, the, of man is the lamp of the Lord. So as we go through life, as we put these two verses together, the idea is that we need to seek out the Lord. He is the one who gives us light. He is the, he is the, the one who has given us our spirit. We can't understand our lives. We can't understand how we're going or what we need to be doing without seeking the Lord and having Him guide us and teach us and direct us. After verse 24... There's this idea, it is a trap for a man to say rashly, it is holy. And after the vows, to make inquiry. The idea here is that it is, it is and it's interesting he uses the word trap. It is dangerous. It is, it is something that you will fall into and uh, that is a dangerous thing to get into. To say rashly, something is holy. To make a vow, to make a pledge, to say yes to something, and then only after you've already said yes, only after you've already said it is holy, only after you've made the vow, to, to ask about it and to make inquiry. This is an idea that Jesus says quite often to us, that we should plan ahead and consider our steps before we take them. That before becoming a believer even, a person needs to consider the, the, the action that they're taking and what it will require of them. He talks about nobody builds a tower without first considering, do I have what it takes to complete this job? Because you don't want to be halfway through building something and then have to abandon it. And the same is true for the Christian life. We need to consider, do I have what it takes to see this through? Am I truly willing to dedicate myself to following Jesus and to live for Him? And to allow God to, to change who I am that I might be more like Him. The, the same is true, though, when, when people ask, and you know, a lot of times people are looking for a, a quick answer. Hey, can you help me with this? Hey, would you do this? Do you believe this? I, I, 
always kind of, I, I throw people off sometimes when we're in Bible study because they'll say, don't you agree with this position that I put forward? And I have to stop and think, I don't know, do I? Let me think about this for a minute. You know, or sometimes just in conversation, and, and, and I don't think we're used to people not answering. But you sit there and you have to think, don't you? Wait a minute, do I really agree with this? Because you don't want to rashly say yes and then later figure it out and say, ooh, maybe that wasn't the right answer to give. It, it is a trap to get into this false pretenses of religion as well, to, to claim something is good without really truly knowing is this good or is it bad? That idea of making inquiry before you make a decision. The idea of, of differing weights and differing measures and, and God's desire that we would, we would deal equally with people all comes together. In verse 26, we go to focus on a king. A wise king winnows the wicked and drives the threshing wheel over them. A wise king, in essence, punishes the wicked. He winnows them, he, he sifts them, he, he figures out who is wicked and he separates the wicked from the righteous. And then he drives the threshing wheel over them. He, he gets rid of them. He punishes them. He disciplines them if he can. But the, what a king does not do is put up with the wicked. What a king does not do is elevate the wicked. What the king does not do is allow the wicked to grow in his kingdom. But to, 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 to separate them, to figure out who they are, and to punish them. The, this idea of a king is carried on. You know, 27 was about the spirit of, the Lord, of man as the lamp. 28, though, goes back to the king. Loyalty and truth preserve the king. Literally, that loyalty is hesed, the, the, the righteous, loyal love. Uh, mercy, sometimes it is translated. But that, that kindness, that loving kindness is what loyalty is. is that's that word. That's, loyalty is translating the, the word hesed, loving kindness. And truth, and truth is based on a word that means firmness and faithfulness. Something that is, that is there. Something that is, is firm. It is established. Truth. So by, by loyalty, loving kindness, faithfulness, and truth, a king, uh, the king is preserved. He is, he is supported and sustained. And he then upholds his throne by Righteousness. And, and really, truly, righteousness is the same word as loyalty in the first part of that verse. So this, this whole verse is bookended by that idea of righteous loyalty. Loyalty and truth preserve the king. It helps him to survive. It helps him to get through the struggles that he faces. And he then upholds his throne. He supports it and keeps it by righteousness. When you take verse 26 prior to this, a king winnows the wicked. He gets rid of the wicked. He gets rid of the unrighteous. He judges them. He punishes them. But he upholds himself and his throne and his kingdom by righteousness. And then in verse uh, 30, at the very end of this passage, stripes that wound, 
scour away evil, and strokes reach the innermost parts. The idea with those other two verses is it's bringing up that idea again of righteous judgment. Stripes that wound scour away evil. In other words, as, as you punish people for their crimes and their sins, it will push out the evil. If you have a person who is going down that road, you can discipline them and hopefully keep them from becoming more wicked. They will choose to live a righteous life. We, we oftentimes, I think, have examples in our culture of people who are just uh, perpetually bad, perpetually wicked. They, they do some crime, they go to jail, they get out of jail, they do some other crime, they go back to jail. We don't see so often the many people who have something go on, they've done something in their life, they go to jail and they get out of jail and they say, I'm never going back again. I'm going to change my life. They, they are punished in some way and it might be difficult to get out and get straightened up, but they say, I'm going to get straightened up. I don't want to, I don't want to live like this. We don't see that as often, but it does happen. It is there. It's just not reported on. It doesn't sell newspapers like the reoffending does. But strokes reach the innermost part. Sometimes that, you know, and so the idea here, and I think my parents used this against me. <laughs> we had a bamboo rod. I, I, there was a reason. They, those strokes would reach my innermost heart. And, you know, honestly, the spanking stopped when my dad realized I'm not reaching his heart. Uh, it, it's in and right there in the gluteus maximus. It's not going any further. He had to find different ways to give me stripes that would wound, that would reach my heart. He had to find other methods. But when I was little, those, those methods worked. And it helps when we are disciplined. That's why it's important for a king to establish righteousness and not to uh, feel bad about administering justice. And, and for us as a people... It is a good thing to administer justice. It is a good thing to take somebody who has done something wrong, whether in the courts or in your home, and to acknowledge this was wrong. And if there is a punishment needed, to give that punishment. Because it can help a person grow to righteousness. It can help a person decide to live rightly. But also it recognizes the harm that they have done. This kind of goes back to the whole idea about differing weights. We, we oftentimes can focus very much on the person who has done a wrong and ignore the one that the wrong has been done to. And so even in our homes or even in the courts, to bring justice isn't just about the person who has done the wrong thing, whether it is a crime or if it's just mistreating a family member. To bring justice also recognizes the person who has been wronged, whether the victim of a crime or a person in your... I mean, if, it can just be something simple like kids fighting and we have to bring justice in there. It's important to do those things and to be willing to even bring the judgment and the punishment because that can help restore a person. It can help guide them in the right path. And it is especially important for the king or the government those that would be in authority to make sure that they treat people equally. And that has to do with not just we treat all offenders equally, 
But hey, let's treat the people who are victims equally as we treat those who have done the crime. Let us recognize their hurt. Let us recognize how they have been wronged. And let's bring justice for them. And when a, when a king does that, when he is loyal to his people, and when he operates in truth, he will be preserved and his throne will be upheld. And we, we have to translate this into our own society, so our government and our courts and our executive branches and things like that. But if, if we want to see our country continue, if we want to see our way of life continue, we have got to have justice. Otherwise, we will continue to breed young people who grow up to, uh, to do their wickedness because they haven't had it, we're not reaching their hearts. Speaking of young people growing up, verse 29 can kind of seem out of place, doesn't it? The glory of young men is their strength. And the honor of old men is their gray hair. This is, this is God telling us we shouldn't dye our hair. Uh, it's in the Bible. No, I'm just... What do we do, though? We try to keep our youth, right? We try to you know, keep the color in, right? The glory of young men is their strength. I've, I've been there, you know, oh yeah, I can lift that and I can do this thing and move, move, move. When I was a young guy, right after Amy and I first got married, we used to go to our church's uh, gym and it had a racquetball court. And I got to play with two old guys in there. And it was really a lot of fun. I, I, I grew up with my dad in the Air Force. Racquetball was always at the, you know, there was always racquetball courts in the gyms and the bases. And that was just something that, you know, that's what guys did. They went and played racquetball. It was, was one of my thoughts in my mind. And so I loved getting to play racquetball, and it was fun. And, and I played two guys that were retired, and I was in my 20s. So they, they easily had 40 years on me. And so I gloried in my strength. I could hit the ball from here, I could hit it from there, and I could do all these things. Their honor was their gray hair, and they didn't have to run around a whole lot. They could just sit there and hit the ball, and I'd hit it back to them because I was running all over the place, and they knew how to hit the ball and where to hit the ball to make me run all over the place and have it come back to them. You know? So, yeah, the glory of young men is their strength. But hopefully over time, the young men, as they grow up, become wise. And that's the idea here. The honor of old men is their gray hair. Not their strength, because strength will fail us. Strength eventually gives way. And at some point, we have to stop being the strong man and start being the wise man. I think some of this idea also is if, if you're able to live long enough to have your hair go gray, that's a blessing. It's a good thing to get to that point. It is a good thing to last. But part of it also, as we look at this idea of justice and, and, and discipline, Hopefully those have uh, that strength when they're young. Over time they learn to control it. And over time they learn to direct it and to become wise. That's, that's kind of the idea going on here. But this, this is such a, a true statement. I mean, some, some of these Proverbs, they're just true statements. I mean, they're all truth, but 
they're not really guiding us in how to live. This isn't telling you how to live. It's observing the reality of life. That when we are young, we, we, we revel in our strength and our ability to do things. And then over the years, it's, it's a, you know, you just hear, I can't do that anymore. Or I used to be able to do this. Oh, I can't do that. But we learn to do new things. And hopefully we grow wiser. I think of King David, who when he was young was a warrior and was fighting. And as he became older, other people had to do the fighting. He had to lead in other ways. And, well, I won't say how wisely he did when he was older necessarily. But the honor of old people is their gray hair, not just men. The honor of old women, too is their gray hair. These verses, these Proverbs are, are about how to, to live justly, how to live right before the Lord. That inheritance that is gained early won't be blessed. But if you, if you grow with it in time, if it comes to you after you've learned, kind of touching on that idea of the gray hair again, as we grow, we learn how to manage it and how to handle it. And what God calls us to do to grow in and to learn as we, as we live is that we would deal justly with one another. That we would establish our kingdoms as they were, are in righteousness and in loyalty and truth. That we wouldn't keep from bringing judgment and discipline. Because that's how the, the strong kid grows to be a wise man. is through those, those wounds that reach the innermost heart. That part where we don't know ourselves, but God knows us. Where He guides us and gives us light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We pray that You would give us light. That You would guide us, Lord, and, and that You would teach us who we are. We pray, Lord, for justice in our courts, justice in our land. We pray, Lord, that our governments, our local government here in Fort Worth and Tarrant County, our state government in Austin, our national government in D.C., Lord, those that we have placed in positions of power and authority, we pray that they would bring justice, that they would act wisely, that they would not treat people differently, but that they would treat us equally. We pray, Lord, in our own lives, as we deal with people, that we would treat them equally that we wouldn't use certain judgments for certain people, that we wouldn't judge our, our family with kid gloves and then the people across the way harshly, but that we would be equal. And Lord, we pray. We pray that you help us to grow in Jesus Christ to be more like Him, to be wise, 
be kind. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.